I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Race Relations in Utah. A special hour with Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome, everyone, to a special edition of Inside Sources as we talk race relations in Utah. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. It is great to be with you. As always, it's the fastest 60 minutes of radio, and we're going to fill it today. And we are going to do as we always try to do to slow things down just a little bit. Help you divide the rage from the reason, elevate the conversation, connect the dots, and help it all make sense. Uh, and so we're going to continue our coverage here. So we're going to get right at it uh, as we go. You can always join us on our Utah Community Credit Union KSL text line, 57500. Weigh in with your thoughts, your ideas, as we try to elevate the conversation around race today. Uh, very pleased, right off the bat, to be joined by former Representative Mia Love, uh, current CNN contributor and uh, one of the... I think you were the first Republican to ever join the uh, Black Congressional Caucus. Uh, Mia, thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Appreciate being on, Boyd. Thank you. So as, as we look at this important uh, topic of race, uh, you and I had a, a conversation over the weekend. Uh, Doug Wilkes yeah. from the Deseret News was uh, writing his piece inside the newsroom, and uh, a lot of the chatter over the weekend was about the different news organizations uh, changing uh, the capitalization of black, uh, lowercase b, to uh, an uppercase mm -hmm. b. And uh, I was yeah. able to track you down. I think you were on a Father's Day hike with your husband, Jason. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah. I, but I asked you, you know, is what? What do you think about that? What's the issue there? I, I believe my first response um, was, we have much bigger problems in capitalization. <laughs> uh, you know, when I, 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 when I think about the question that you asked, I, I think about, um, you know, when a prejudiced police officer is unnecessarily putting you in handcuffs. Or if you, you're just not worried about AP-style guides. You know, when your family is trapped in big in poverty programs, um, big social programs, uh, and no way of getting out, you know, you don't have time to consult politically correctness or spell check. You're just doing everything you can to put food on the table and have your children dream of a better tomorrow. And that's, I think that's the most difficult thing. Um, one of the things that I've learned, I, I, I started painting a little bit, is that you can't paint what you what you don't see, what you don't mm. know. And these young children, if they don't see, if they don't know, how, how will they know what direction to go into? How will they know what direction to take and what decisions to make to get them there? And so we have to, all of us, I'm not just talking about black families, I'm talking about Americans, you have to stop being indifferent about what's going on with our fellow Americans. We have to start painting a vision of a better tomorrow, a better America. If we don't do that, our children will never see their way through this cloud. 
Uh, it's I think, what I call. I call it a cloud of confusion. Yeah, there, there, and there is a lot of confusion. There's a lot of uncertainty out there, and uh, I love that visual of you. You can't paint what you can't see, uh, and I think that's true because we we can't be indifferent anymore. We we need to have a different kind of conversation. Uh, and and you've experienced this in in different ways throughout your life, from from growing yeah. up uh, to uh, to being elected to Congress. Uh, tell us some of the the early things. I know there were some important lessons to you as it related to race uh, early on for you. Yeah. So I've had lessons, obviously, growing up um, in high school myself. I've had lessons um, watching my children grow up. I've had lessons watching my brother. One particular one was uh, when I was a swim teacher in high school, and I was teaching these young kids, and there was this young man in particular who was just so sweet, uh, really uh, was tough to work with at the beginning, but learned to trust me and learned to put his head in the water. And um, we had one day left the class and he just gave me a hug and he says, I, I love you. And I said, oh, that's so sweet. He's like, no matter what my parents say about you, um, I love you. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He says, well, they say that all brown people are bad people. And so I looked at them and said, show me where they are. And he pointed to them and I waved high. And I just thought to myself, here is a young man who there was a narrative that was put in his mind. And, I, you know, some of these things are taught. Some, it's just that type is taught, it, but they can also be untaught. Yeah. They can also be untaught by really good experiences and making sure that you treat people with kindness and respect. Yeah. I was really happy that I was able to have a portion of his life so that he can know that what his parents were saying wasn't necessarily true. Oh, that's so, so important. And that, that really leads me to the next thing I want to get to. You, uh, you've, you've experienced all the realms of, of politics, from great victories to huge stages, big speeches, uh, to defeats and challenges and misunderstandings and, and all of that. Uh, yeah. But I, I want to get to this idea of the what is the right conversation. Uh, and again, you were the, the first Republican to join the Congressional Black Caucus, uh, and I know there were a lot of things that you learned there, some things that they were doing well, some things that they were missing. And, and uh, But what is the right conversation? What should we be talking about? Well, first of all, you know, Boyd, you and I have talked about this um, at length. First of all, the right conversation is uh, making sure that you are taking all of the, um, the personal gains out of it. In other words, uh, there are always conversations that you can have that will help you get um, a leg up in 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 uh, in politics. Um, what I mean by that is that the worst politicians are the ones that lie because they make promises that they never intend on keeping. So you want to make sure that you're having conversations with people that open the door so that you are not given false choices. They say these are our choices. It's not A or B. It's not going to be either you take the things I promise you or you leave them. I, I've learned that in so many ways, whether it's um, uh, whether it's uh, the environment, right? It's not energy production or loss of your environment. You could actually have both and, um, and, and get rid of those false choices. One of the things I want to say is just because you're having a conversation about race, it doesn't mean you don't, it doesn't mean that you are, um, that you're stating that you're one way or the other. You're just at least letting people know that you're willing to have the conversation. I'm willing to have a conversation with my son. It's uncomfortable, but I'm willing to have a conversation with my son because he's going to grow up. He's right into the park. I need to tell him that there are people um, that are out there, not all of them, but there are people that are out there that have a grudge that mm -hmm. um, 
that, that you have to be careful of, and this is how you behave. Um, and also on the other side, you may be angry about what's happening to the people around you. There is a certain dignity and there's a certain respect that you have for yourself that you are not going to be destructive. You are not going to defecate on a cop car. You will not stoop below what your mom, your great parents, your great grandparents, all of the people that have sacrificed to get you to where you are. Oh, fantastic. Mia Love, always appreciate our conversations as a as a real friend, uh, as a great leader out there, and especially as it comes to this important issue of race. I, I know this is just the uh, end of the beginning of this conversation. We have a long way to go in the state and in the country, uh, but I always appreciate your perspective and uh, your leadership on this. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. All right, that's uh, Representative Mia Love. We're going to continue our conversation on race. Uh, we'll be joined by my conversation with uh, Teresa Deer, board member from the NAACP, and Ella Jack Gerard of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, next on KSL's special coverage, Race Relations in Utah. Stay with us. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story the struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Race Relations in Utah. In-depth coverage on KSL News Radio. And we have a critical conversation to have today as things continue to evolve here in the state of Utah and around the country. And we have these important, crucial conversations today. We want to get right into it. Uh, earlier uh, on Medium.com, a uh, very powerful editorial uh, was released by leaders of the NAACP and uh, President Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saint. A real call to the nation in terms of what can be done, uh, I encourage you to go check that out on medium.com. It was interesting. I was uh, I was actually on an interview with Newsmax earlier, and we were talking about some of the things that uh, have been going on. When I was asked, you know, so where do we go? There's a lot of political divide. There's a lot of things going on. The first thing I think we all have to remember is that if you want to bridge a divide, you do not do that by driving the wedge of division deeper. You have to remove it. And the only way you remove it is by going from friendship to partnership and cooperation and action. Uh, and that's the real key. And I was able to share with them this wonderful thing that happens not in front of a bank of TV cameras or a bunch of uh, microphones for political purposes. It's the hard work and heavy lifting of friendship and partnership uh, that most people don't hear about, don't see. Uh, and there's one that I want to talk specifically about today. So I'm going to invite in uh, to the conversation here 
two extraordinary individuals, Teresa Deer. Many of you from the show know she, she visits us regularly and elevates our thinking. She is a board member of the NAACP as well as a human resource consultant uh, doing all kinds of great things, regularly writes for Deseret.com. We're also joined by Elder Jack Gerard of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and uh, welcome to both of you today. Well, thank you, boys. Good to be with you. Uh, one of the fascinating components, uh, uh, watching this friendship develop between one of the legends in civil rights work, uh, Amos Brown, one of the last uh, students of Dr. Martin Luther King, and President uh, Russell M. Nelson of the Church of Jesus Christ. Tell us a little bit how you've observed that. So it has been heartwarming and amazing to watch. It has clearly been God's divine hand bringing these two organizations together. What I witnessed on the outside looking in and in the inside, these are two organizations that are authentically committed to working together on the challenges that face this country and even this world. You know, there is open, transparent, and honest dialogue about the history, about the context, uh, and a path forward. Uh, one thing that Derek Johnson, the president of the NAACP, said to us before we embarked on this relationship, he said, you always build and create friends before you need them. Mm. You know, when we begin to think about our relationship with the church, it absolutely made sense. And lo and behold, uh, <laughs> we have just partnered on some amazing collaborations and initiatives that impact the world, of which we're both very, very proud of. Oh, that's fantastic. And Elder Gerard, let me turn to you. You've uh, you've been part of the, the hard work and heavy lifting. Tell us a little bit about one specific project uh, regarding the self-reliance training, uh, this training that has gone into inner cities, minority communities, talking about self-reliance, financial understanding and, and education, entrepreneurship. Tell us a little bit about that partnership between the church and the NAACP. Well, Boyd, it's been a wonderful partnership, and a lot of thanks goes to Teresa Deer. Teresa, always good to be on with you. Of course. And you mentioned something early on, Boyd, that I think is very important here. As you talked about that a lot of this work has to be done, but it's really done almost quietly, day by day, one by one. Teresa, her team, Amos Brown, as she mentioned, Chairman Russell, President Derek Johnson, the whole leadership of the NACP, collaboration or partnership started just two short years ago. We have come light years in not only understanding mutual respect, which has grown into love and a true partnership, as Teresa mentioned, but it began with commonality where we found an area we could work together on. You talk about self-reliance. We've taken some of the good work we've done as a church for many years and a partnership with the NAACP. They've identified some areas where some of our resource might be of assistance, we started some programs in San Francisco, Chicago, where Teresa's from. Now we've moved into Indiana, Georgia, and elsewhere. And these self-reliance programs are very similar to what we do within the church, but Teresa has been remarkable in helping us prepare materials so they suit the various communities around the country. And by doing so, we've had, I think, four graduating classes now. But it's been a remarkable success, and it takes a lot of day-to-day -day work 
as we really come together, and as Teresa mentioned, a lot of this not only through divine intervention, but it's focused on Jesus Christ and our shared understanding and knowledge that we're children of a loving Heavenly Father. And that serves as the foundation for us to continue to work together and build bridges of understanding. Yeah, and those, Absolutely. Uh, and those results, uh, real results, to me, that's the uh, the real exciting part of this. Teresa, I want you to respond. Uh, I mentioned as we started this segment this uh, powerful op-ed. It's on medium.com. Uh, and I, I want you to react to this phrase because I think this just encompasses the results that are being driven. Uh, They said, prejudice, hate, and discrimination are learned. Thus, we call on parents, family members, and teachers to be the first line of defense. Teaching children to love all, to find the good in others is more crucial than ever. Oneness is not sameness in America. We must all learn to value the differences. That's uh, that's powerful. And obviously, you know, I agree with that 100%. It is incumbent upon us as leaders, as parents, academicians, teachers, anyone who has a relationship or influence with others to begin to, I like the word that you use, the having a critical conversation. And I would take that to the next level and say have a courageous, candid conversation because people can talk about diversity and inclusion. But as I said in my article, diversity and inclusion is different from racism. And, you know, but maybe that's where people start. They start by talking about diversity and inclusion, and then they talk about racism. But in order to appreciate why we need to talk about diversity and inclusion, we have to talk about racism. But it's so important for us to talk to Uh, Those who are going to inherit this country with all of its love and all of its friendship and all of its capacity to heal and do good, but also with those hurts and with those wounds, we must have a conversation and not back away from it. If we believe that we are responsible for the principles and tenets of Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ would never step away from hurt, from wounds, from harm. Uh, He would step in and with a loving, patient, kind-hearted spirit, sit down and have the conversation. So invite family, invite friends, church members, pastors, leaders, evangelists, have the conversation. Start somewhere. That's right. But let's start it together. Yes. And start it today, I think, is the the real key to the equation there. Elder Gerard, we have just a, a minute left. As you've witnessed and and really watched this blossoming relationship. Uh, I want you to respond. This was from uh, Dr. Martin uh, Luther King Jr. He said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word. Uh, How are you seeing that final word play out? I think Teresa said it very well. I just point, you you read a very important passage in that op-ed. There's one more I draw the audience attention to, where it reminds us that the solutions to this doesn't come from government or law enforcement alone. Right. Right. That goes to the heart of your question. It comes back to each one of us as individuals. We need to do a little self-assessment. Then we find the common bond, the common interest. We go arm in arm. We find opportunities to understand, and then we're able to deal with the challenges of our day because the only label we should focus on is we're children of a loving God. And as Teresa said, we can be different, but at the same time, we focus on how do we truly love our fellow man 
That's where it begins with each one of us. We're grateful to NAACP. We've got the great start of a long-standing relationship to do much good for all mankind. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. That is the uh, what it's really all about. Appreciate uh, both of you joining us. Say, Teresa Deer uh, and uh, Elder Jack Gerard from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And uh, thanks to all of you. in Utah. A special hour with Boyd Matheson on Inside Sources on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back everyone to this special coverage here on KSL News Radio. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News and appreciate you joining the conversation today because it's a crucial conversation. If you've missed any of it, make sure you go pick up the podcast. As we talk about race relations in Utah, uh, I am really excited for our next two guests uh, who have come together. Uh, Derek Miller, who heads the Chamber of Commerce, and James Jackson III, who is the founder of the Utah Black Chamber uh, of Commerce. And uh, to both of you gentlemen, thanks for joining us uh, today on Inside Sources. Good to be here. Thank Good you. Good to be with you. Wonderful. And Derek, we feel like you're always here uh, with us because uh, we get to hear your speaking on business as part of my show. So I always feel like Derek's in the house, but uh, we appreciate that. The the two of you wrote a uh, just a really powerful, very important op-ed uh, last week about Utah businesses, how Utah businesses can contribute to eliminating racism and uh, just some places to start. And uh, so, James, maybe I'll start with you, if that's all right. Uh, give us the uh, give us a little background. How did this come about, and uh, why is this so important right now? Well, of course, you know, with the social unrest, many companies have been reaching out to the Black Chamber, wanting to see, you know, knowing and understanding that they have to do better um, with their hiring practices, with their policies, with their initiatives, and making sure that their company is more welcoming and inclusive. And the Black Chamber has always had a great relationship with the Salt Lake Chamber. And so our team came together and see what can we do to push out this initiative and giving companies just a a starting point on how they can actually um, start the progress of ensuring that their company is more inclusive. Wonderful. Uh, That's so important. Uh, In our last segment, we were talking with uh, Teresa Deer, who's a board member from the NAACP. And and I just love her her quote. She says, diversity and inclusion is different than racism. Uh, And that's what you just uh, got to, James, that it's not always about a racism issue. Sometimes it is. got to have that conversation. Sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just that we're not focused on the diversity and inclusion uh, as such a critical part of it. So, Derek, let me ask, uh, let me ask you in terms of some of these suggestions that you and James offer, uh, in your piece. What are some of the things that the business community can start to do again to get to that diversity and inclusion, uh, which is such a critical part of all of this? Well, I, I had a wonderful conversation with James, uh, shortly after we saw some of the unrest even here in Salt Lake City and and uh, he, what he shared with me, because I asked James the very question, Boyd, that you just asked me. I said, James, where do businesses start? And uh, and so I'm I'm borrowing his line. Uh, but As all good friends point. do. That's good. <laughs> he James said to me, you know, it it starts uh, by first listening, and that was that was a really powerful concept to me because I can tell you, having worked in business for a long time, and both of you have, and many of your listeners have as well. We have a tendency to want to just jump in. If we see a problem, we say, oh, by golly, let's jump in and solve it. And, and in this case, that, that's not the right way to start. Mm-hmm. And, and really, the right way to start is by listening. Uh, and, and specifically, what we suggested in our joint op-ed was reaching out to colleagues, friends, 
neighbors, uh, people who you know of color, and just talking to them about their experiences. And, you know, ever since I had that conversation with James, I've tried to do that. And and something that I've learned actually goes back, Boyd, to the point you made about diversity and inclusion, and that is it's not good enough to just say uh, or feel or even act uh, in a non-racist manner. You actually have to be proactive. You, you, it's not, you can't passively, uh, be, uh, you know, uh, involved in racial equality. You have to actively, uh, be involved in Engage. it. And you don't know how to act unless you first start by listening. Yeah, that's, that's such a great point. Uh, if you're just joining us, we've got, uh, Derek Miller from the Chamber of Commerce and, uh, James Jackson III of the, uh, Black Chamber, uh, both, uh, put together just a, a great piece. And James, I want to go to you now on, uh, some of these specific things. Uh, once we've listened, once we've gained that uh, insight, uh, you suggest that we start uh, by examining our leadership team. Tell us more about that. Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the visions that the Black Chamber has for the Utah's community is increasing diverse leadership in companies because this is an opportunity to really elevate Utah's diversity um, by having diversity at the table to have, help you make these decisions within your policies and your hiring practices to ensure that your company is more welcoming, because how do you know how welcoming your company is when you don't have diversity in leadership? And so it's really looking at how can you expand beyond your normal influence? It's like Derek was saying, you have to be intentional when it comes to diversity inclusion. You know, if you're just reaching outside, if you're just reaching within your own influence and your influence is all white, well, then you're going to have a problem. I'm trying to build a, diver- a diverse and inclusive company. So it's really just building relationships outside your own influence and looking for opportunities to um, elevate, you know, your current diverse employees into leadership positions through mentorship, um, any type of leadership programs, um, looking at employee resource groups and how to find ways to ensure that there is a pipeline of of leadership going into um, that that is yeah. diverse. That's that's so that's so important because it's not just a it's not just a one and done or one off thing. It's it is a it's not only having people uh, at the table. It's that having them have a voice at that table uh, as well is is such a big part of that. Uh, Derek, just in our, our last couple of minutes, uh, yeah, you all have combined for some some resources, some ideas. Uh, what are some of the things that uh, businesses should be doing in terms of employee resources as it relates to, to race and diversity? Well, we're, we are creating a forum here uh, in partnership between the Utah Black Chamber and the Salt Lake Chamber. Uh, a few different uh, opportunities for businesses to uh, figure this out. And, and the first one is next Wednesday, uh, we've got a webinar that we'll be doing. Uh, James has put together a great panel and has asked me to moderate that panel, talking about how you put these re- resources to work in your own business. And, of course, that won't be the end of it. We've also uh, created a, an ongoing forum where CEOs and other business leaders can come together and, and have this conversation. Um, uh, the, the the conversation can sometimes uh, be uncomfortable, but as James has taught me, uh, you know, un- uncomfortable conversations is, is what leads to lasting and important change. Uh, so good. Uh, appreciate both of you coming on. And again, uh, we'll post all of this on our uh, Facebook page, our Insight Sources Facebook page, so you can see both the pieces that they've written together and pieces they've also written separately. Uh, but all those great resources encourage you to engage. Uh, as both of you have said, this is uh, this is an ongoing process thing. 
Uh, and I think it's so important. Uh, we talked about this in our last segment that uh, the real key is that we have to recognize that this is not going to be solved by government or law enforcement alone. I think like most things in the country, this is going to start in our homes, in our neighborhoods, and especially our businesses, especially those businesses that engage to make a difference in the community. Gentlemen, thanks both of you for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, boy. I appreciate it. All right. Again, that's James Jackson III and Derek Miller. And a great conversation. There's some great resources for businesses. I encourage you to check those out if you're an entrepreneur, business owner of any kind. Uh, in terms of how do you do that? How do you not only create a space where you can develop those leaders uh, so they can sustain it over time, you can have those critical conversations uh, and actually give back to the community and make a difference. This will start in places like Utah. This is not going to come down from uh, the marbled halls of Washington, D.C. It's not going to be law enforcement alone. Uh, This is a we the people, and the business community plays a significant role in this, so we appreciate their leadership. All right, we're going to go ahead and step aside, come back. Final thoughts on race relations in Utah. Special coverage here on KSL News Radio. I'm Boyd Matheson. We'll be right back. Race relations in Utah. In depth coverage on KSL News Radio. Welcome back, everyone. Final segment of the Inside Sources portion of this special programming today here on KSL News Radio, Race Relations in Utah. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. If you've missed any of our conversation today, uh, make sure that uh, you pick that up on our website, on our Inside Sources Facebook page. Or, of course, you can always download the KSL News Radio app, uh, which is powered by our friends at Any Hour Services. Uh, a lot of great conversations today. We spoke with Mia Love. We spoke with Teresa Deer from the NAACP National Board. We talked to Jack Gerard, uh, a segment that we recorded with them uh, about race relations and conversations and, and how you actually get into the action part of this thing. It's not just you got to start with the listening, you got to get the understanding, and then you got to pivot and you got to get to action and make sure we're actually doing something uh, about it. Great conversation we just had uh, with uh, both the uh, Salt Lake Chamber of Commerce and also the Black Chamber. Uh, great conversation there and uh, much, much more to come there throughout the uh, the next hour. Jeff Kaplan will be up next for continued conversation, and then uh, Lee Lonsberry will pick it up from there. So uh, we're, we're really focused in terms of where do we go next? How do we make sure that uh, this is not a moment but a real movement? How do we make sure we're getting all the right conversations to take place? And that, that takes a lot of courage. Um and so I've been thinking a lot and going back through uh, many of the uh, addresses from uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And, and one that has just stirred me in so many different ways was actually his uh, speech when he received the Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, one of the things that he talked about was this courage, that courage is this inner resolution to go forward despite o- obstacles, that cowardice is submissive surrender to circumstances. Ca- courage breeds creativity. Cowardice represses fear and is mastered by it. And then he, he got to this great question moment of cowardice asks the question, is it safe? Is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it politic? Is it politically correct? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? And to me, that's what this is really all about. So I want to start our final segment today. Uh, with actually a, a speech that uh, George W. Bush gave in July of 2000 uh, at the NAACP conference. And to me, this really sets the stage in terms of where we are, more importantly, 
Where are we going to go next? For our nation, there is no denying the truth that slavery is a blight on our history and that racism, despite all the progress, still exists today. Recognizing and confronting our history is important. Transcending our history is essential. We're not limited by what we have done or what we have left undone. We are limited only by what we're willing to do. We are only limited by what we are willing to do. So regardless of what we have done or what we have undone, it's really about what's next. And what are each of us willing to do individually, collectively, as a society? What are we willing to do? That's how history is going to judge us, not our political leaders, not our law enforcement. It will judge us, we the people, by what we actually choose to do. I want to shift now to a part of Martin Luther King Jr.'s acceptance speech for the Nobel Prize. Uh, and I want to begin with really kind of a framing of kind of where he thought we were in this process and where he thought things needed to go next. Sooner or later, all the peoples of the world will have to discover a way to live together in peace and thereby transform this pending cosmic elegy into a creative psalm of brotherhood. If this is to be achieved, man must evolve for all human conflict a method which rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. The foundation of such a method is love. (laughs) A creative psalm of brotherhood. That's got to be the model. One that rejects revenge, aggression, and retaliation. Uh, And he said that he has a a firm belief that we can actually do this. I accept this award today with an abiding faith in America and an audacious faith in the future of mankind. I refuse to accept despair as the final response to the ambiguities of history. So despite those ambiguities of history, uh, there is cause for hope, uh, as he said it, uh, an audacious faith in the future of mankind. And uh, sadly, we've uh, pointed out today the uh, the lack of courage uh, in our nation's capital on an issue regarding law enforcement, where the vast majority of the American people know we need to have some changes and some things improved. We need to make progress. The Senate uh, did not take up the bill. It was blocked. Uh, The House will likely pass a version today, and nothing will happen, even though members of both political parties agree on the vast majority of the steps to be taken, the pieces of legislation that need to be implemented. We aren't even going to have the conversation on the floor of the United States Senate. And yet, despite that, uh, I agree with Dr. King that we can have an audacious faith in the future of mankind. Why? Because despite politics failing, America will not because it's culture, it's people, it's individuals, it's families that lead the nation and the politicians will follow. And as long as we remember that, we too can have that audacious faith that Dr. King talked about in the future of mankind. And he described how we need to do that. What's the core, what's the guiding principle that will make that all happen? I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated is stronger than evil triumphant. 
So as we look at that, uh, how do we move forward? What can give us, give us faith uh, in all of that? Uh, and it is a, a faith and a confidence in the people. And, you know, we, we look at, uh, I think it was Winston Churchill who said, you can always count on the American people to do the right thing after they've exhausted every other possibility. And sometimes we do that. Uh, but even with that, uh, Dr. King showed that uh, we can have courage, the courage to face challenging times. This faith can give us courage to face the uncertainties of the future. It will give our tired feet new strength as we continue our forward stride toward the city of freedom. When our days become dreary with low hovering clouds and our nights become darker than a thousand midnights, we will know that we are living in the creative turmoil of a genuine civilization struggling to be born. So there's there's much more that we, we have to do. And sometimes in periods like this in our nation's history, it is easy to look at those low-hanging and dreary clouds. It's easy to say this is never going to change. Uh, it's easy to believe that we're powerless as individuals. Uh, but we're not. We're not. And it's that confidence in people that I think have drove, driven all the great reformers uh, in history, uh, the people who really can make a difference. Uh, I want to conclude with uh, one last quote from, this is uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr.'s acceptance speech when he received the Nobel Peace Prize. And to me, this is where I think we can begin to move towards a new dawn. I refuse to accept the idea that man is mere floatsome and jetsome in the river of life, unable to influence the unfolding events which surround him. I refuse to accept the view that mankind is so tragically bound to the starless midnight of racism and war that the bright daybreak of peace and brotherhood can never become a reality. All right. Uh, there will be a, a dawn. There will be a new day. I hope this is part of that, uh, because if we if we can't get there now, uh, then we really have to question our ability to come together as a nation. Uh, and so we can acknowledge all the things that we've talked about today. Uh, I love the fact that uh, Mia Love framed it in the context of painting, that you can't paint what you can't see. And so we, we have to see things a little different maybe than we have in the past. Uh, I love the the framing of uh, George W. Bush uh, two decades ago when he said it's not about what we've done or left undone. It's about what we do next. It's about that challenge, that opportunity. Appreciate both our friends from the both the Chamber of Commerce and the uh, Black Chamber uh, talking about things businesses can do to make sure that we are getting to that point that it's not just ending the, the racism, which we have to expunge and expel, uh, but we also have to get to that point of inclusion and, and opportunity and moving things forward in a in a very positive way. Uh, and then, of course, the uh, the great words uh, from Dr. King. And, and the real test is, is what will we do about it? Uh, I think uh, one of the challenges we should all take a look at is on a regular basis, on a regular basis, we should go break bread, have a lunch, get a drink, do whatever it is with someone who looks different thinks different or lives different than ourselves. I'm Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. Great to be with you on this special edition, Race Relations in Utah, here on KSL News Radio. And as always, as you go out into the world today, 
please make sure you see something that inspires, say something that uplifts, and above all, do something today that makes a difference. This is your daily resource for critical breaking news, weather, and conversation about Utah's most important stories. Listen on the KSL News Radio app. Brought to you by Any Hour Services, KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Live coverage, race relations in Utah on KSL News Radio, Utah's all day companion for news. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new season three, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold season three, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts.